Hello and welcome to Dungeon Talk, the general advice and discussion podcast from D&D Academy. I am Michael and this is Dungeon Talk episode number 33 where Caleb and I agree. In this episode Caleb and I discuss uh, NPCs, how to create them and how to play them at the table to make them feel differently. I make a very bad unthought out Batman comparison. We talk about using uh, squad-based tactics or vessel ships uh, in, a, in a way where you would stat those out as NPCs, which I actually think is a great idea. I wish I had thought of it first. We talk a little bit about naming conventions, and then we finish up with a talk about players' moments and how to make sure that as DMs we don't kind of pass those by. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. If you would feel so kind as to throw us a like on Facebook, or give us a review either on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. That would be fantastic. But most importantly right now, the majority of our traffic by far is coming through RPGpodcast.com. And there is a way that you can go on and recommend each episode individually. And then cumulatively, it sort of it puts us on a leaderboard of recommended shows. And we are currently around 17th or 18th position on that list. And we need about 21 more to get us over the hump and, and into the top 15. So if you feel like this is a show that you would recommend and you have some time, please go to RPGpodcast.com, recommend our, our uh, episodes individually, as many as you can, as many as you will, and help push us up that leaderboard. So thank you, and here again is Dungeon Talk episode number 33, where Caleb and I agree. topic I wanted to get to was talking about NPC. Uh, recently on the Facebook site, we had a gentleman, I think it was Andrew Young, posted a couple comments about building NPCs and, and making them feel different. His goal was he wanted NPCs, uh, like for example, you could have like a third level town guard be the equivalent of like a first level fighter, that there should be some differentiation between them, but that they should feel different at the table, they should play differently, and that you know, within the world, it should make sense that this is a person who isn't cut out to be an adventurer, but they're not just some farmer with a pickaxe either. You know, they've got, they've had some training, but for some reason, it's just not exactly the same as an adventurer. And you know, th this is a very broad topic in my mind, and you could approach it in a lot of different ways. So I'll just kind of throw it to you. When you're creating an NPC that you think will be a combat encounter, for example. Do you create them just like a PC? You know, you roll up a fifth level rogue and you follow the rules, or do you just kind of put together piecemeal a NPC that you think will be a fun encounter and don't really care so much about the rules? For me, it depends on the encounter. Nine times out of ten, if I am creating an NPC for battle, I'm going to roll their stats and give them character classes. If it's an NPC that is only going to be interacted with in a role-playing setting, I don't give them stats. I just, because it usually doesn't matter. You know, if it's the town elder, he's probably not going to be in combat. If it's that stereotypical, mysterious old man who only gives them advice, he's not going to be swinging a sword, so I'm not going to waste my time. That being said... I think it's really hard to make a differentiation between 
NPCs and PCs from a rules standpoint because the rules aren't really what we're dealing with when we're immersed in that role playing. So if we build an NPC and call him a town guard and he's a third level guard but he only has a plus one BAB, that's not really going to come across if the PCs walk up to him and say, hey Steve, how are you today? It's, it's how we roleplay it. It's how we as GMs describe that situation. If we say, this town guard is, looks really competent. He's wearing his armor really well. He's carrying his sword properly. It looks clean. And he, he, he fights some thugs and he handles himself in battle really well. You know that this guy either has class levels or is just a really good NPC. If you describe him as the blacksmith who got drafted and he kind of slapped on some leather armor and looks really scared, you know he can't, he doesn't have levels. He can't stand up to you, he can't compare to you as a player. So I think that's more on our shoulders from a description, from a role playing, from a narrative standpoint rather than a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, I think I would, I would agree with you. I don't. I'm not going to say this very well. Like I haven't got it pre-planned out, but but Batman, in my mind, plays a role in this. And what what I'm trying to get across is that I'm sure that in in the lexicon of of comics, there are lots of characters that had their parents murdered, but only one of them became Batman. You know, Batman was a PC. There's something about his background, his resolve, his situation that made him make the choice to become Batman, follow through on it, and become, you know, in our example, a player character, for example. Where I think NPCs, they might have had some of the same tragedy or the same background, but it just didn't play out the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the town guardsman probably is a guardsman because he didn't want to be a farmer, but he wasn't smart enough to do anything else. So he just, you know, he, he can swing an axe or swing a sword. He can follow orders. So that that's why he's the town guardsman. Where the player characters have a more detailed, you know, usually exciting background. There's a little bit more story to it. And that's why they're characters. Like, that's the difference, is that one of them has the resolve to do more and the other one doesn't. So the differences between them are just what they decided to do with it. I mean, I think of like a, a sage in a wizard's tower, just more like an academic professor. You know, they're, they're in love with knowledge. They read lots of books, but they have no desire to go out to the world and actually experience what a beholder can do. They're happy to read about it in their tower, so they don't have to learn a spell. They don't have to learn death rays or saving throws or this, that, and the other because it, it, they're not the type of person that's actually going to go out and adventure and, and deal with that. So when you, when you role-play them, in a lot of cases, I would role-play them more passive, that they're not as aggressively seeking out fame and fortune, because if they were, they would be a PC. So again, I don't know that I spoke that very well, but I, I think I'm trying to get a, the point across is that the difference between a PC and an NPC is the desire to do more, I guess. You're saying it's all about motivation. Yes. To summarize very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I spoke very poorly, so your summary is still not bad. So yeah, there, there's a motivation there, and there's a willingness to put yourself in danger. And the experience that comes from that, pun intended, 
is what makes a player character a player character, whether an NPC. It's more theoretical. You know, the town guardsmen, how many times do they actually have to repel the orc horde? Or are they just patrolling, you know, walking around town, taking an apple off the cart and telling Timmy to stay out of the well? It depends on the game you're running. I'm sure there's some towns that are on the, the edges of swamps that get attacked all the time. But I would imagine that those guardsmen are probably more like grizzled vets that, you know, have seen some combat. And you would roleplay them differently. You would approach them differently. So, again, I, d I don't know that I'm necessarily speaking very well, but I, I think that's how I would do it. From a mechanical standpoint, I build NPCs the same way I build characters. There's just something about I don't want a character or a player to ever say, wait, how can he do that? You know, that's not possible. And unless I've got some sort of rule or some reason in my head as to why they can do that that may be part of a mystery, then I don't want them to do anything that breaks the game and makes them come out of the out of the game and go, wait, what you know, what book is that from? That doesn't make sense. One of my very first examples, I was playing in college with a friend of mine. Well, one day he decided that he wanted to play a game. He wanted to run it, uh, but he was afraid of running it for everybody. So I agreed to basically be a, a play test for him, and he would run me just through a, a little adventure just to see how he did. It was actually really fun. But there was a moment where I went into this tavern full of farmers, and we got into a fight, of course, and these farmers were getting two attacks. You know, I was a first-level fighter, and these guys were using pitchforks and, and sickles and size, and they were getting two attacks. And I looked at them like, wait, I don't get two attacks until I'm like fifth level. And then I get three and two because we were playing second edition. And I was like, you know, there's no way that this podunk farmer is able to do that. And it totally broke me out of the story, which, again, we all know I have OCD issues. And for me, that's that, I don't want to recreate that for my character, for my player. So anytime I create an NPC, I do follow the rules exactly the way that a PC would be written. For that reason, it isn't to say they don't have, you know, a magic item or something that changes it a little bit, but it's something I I can at least justify in my head in case I'm asked about it. Yeah, I think that's the right thing to do, and that's maintaining game balance and making sure everything makes sense in the scope of the world. Now, sometimes you need an NPC for a specific task. So maybe you need to have the town cleric be able to you know, heal up the PCs because you know there's a really nasty encounter around the corner. So at that point, you want to make sure you, you created that character and told enough about that character to reflect that, yes, he is, in fact, a 10th-level cleric and can cast that restoration spell or healing spell or whatnot. But sometimes sometimes an NPC is just an NPC, and you don't really have to worry about building him. And if something comes up unexpected and he has to make a saving throw or an attack roll, you treat him as, well, you know what? Everyone's dead average. Everything's a 10. All their saves are a 0. Deal with it. <laughs> One of the things that I have struggled with as a DM is ever doing mass combat or naval combat in any sort of way that is exciting or is fun and adds to the game. And this is something I kind of stole from Fate, and it may be in other games, and again, I'm not saying I invented it, so don't yell at me on the comment sections, but I think it would be a good idea to, let's say we're playing a naval combat game, is to stat out your pirate ship or your naval ship just like a character or an NPC. 
So it has a strength score, it has an intelligence, has a dex, has a charisma, constitution, has hit points, has armor class. And then when you are fighting combat, then you just have those two NPCs roll against each other. You know, ship one rolls its attack against ship two. Ship two has an armor class, it does damage. And, you know, you could scale it up or down however you need to. But I think that would make a lot more sense. And then where the, the number four comes in about how PCs interact is that allow the PCs to affect the stats. So if you have a highly intelligent commander running your ship, then your intelligence of your ship is higher. If you have extra armor put into your ship, then the armor class goes up or your hit points go up or you have a larger crew, then maybe you get more damage. And I think that would make it a lot more dynamic of a situation rather than trying to use any real combat rules as presented in 3.5 that I'm aware of or any other game. So um, are you familiar with anything like that? And what are your thoughts on doing that, Caleb? Well, my general feeling is that I agree with you. I think that's fun to do. I think it's definitely a little bit more work for the GM to create that and handle that on a gaming table. I think it really depends on what your players want to do. If they are really into that naval combat, then yeah, give them the ship and figure out how to do that. If they want to be pirates but want to focus more on landing parties or fighting other people and stealing stuff, it might just be a little bit too much or something that doesn't interest them to devote that much time to it. So it's a really fine line to tread on going too deep and still keeping it fun. I can see that. I think I would probably, you know, much like anything else, I'd have to do it a couple of times and, you know, see how it plays at the table. But, uh, you know, there's some, um, there's like some squad-based tactical games. None of them are coming to mind now that I've played before where you're going on a mission and you kind of have to decide, do you want to bring a, a more tanky squad? Do you want a more dexterous squad? And in my mind, that's kind of what this would, would simulate is, you know, you go into town and one of your jobs is to hire on more crew. And then, you know, the mini game aspect as the players is, well, what type of crew do you recruit? Are you wanting, you know, hardy crewmen that will add to your hit points? Do you want, uh, you know, crewmen that can climb, climb the riggings and are good with crossbows or that kind of thing that would add to your dexterity? And, you know, how do you modify your vessel each time you're in port based off of what you expect your next encounter would be? You know, if you know you're being chased by the Royal Navy and you need to be really fast, then you would probably want to up your decks to try to outrun them versus something else. And and that's kind of what I meant by the mini games is it, it's sort of, I guess, meta game would be a better descriptor of what I was talking about, where, you know, whether you're bolstering the defenses of a town, so you stat out your town as an NPC and you say, okay, we want to raise the armor class of our town, so we're going to, you know, dig some trenches around the city and set up some barricades and, you know, we want to be able to do some attacking, so we're going to work with some of the loggers and show them how to use their axes as weapons. So now you get plus one to your damage when when you're attacking or defending. And that's sort of how I, I envision the, the PCs interacting and, and adjusting these stats to represent their influence on the town, on the squad, or on the vessel. Yeah, I agree with you there. And 
I think on a smaller scale, maybe a way to experiment with that is with like a, a squad of NB, NPC combatants on land. Like experiment with it not involving the large scale combat, not involving the vessel, the ship. Just think, okay, your PCs are in the forest and they got six guys that can follow them and do some fighting. What you can hire these six guys. Are they archers? Are they tanks? So they have sword and shield? Are they pikemen? And what kind of attacks do they have? What kind of defense do they have? And in the role to role play that a little bit, okay, you had a battle, you're you're spending the night in the forest there, you have these say, three interactions with these NPCs. Do you spar with them a little bit? Maybe that gives them some more damage. Uh, do you interact with them socially? Maybe they trust you a little bit more. They'll take your orders better. Maybe they have better initiative. Or maybe they're just more willing to take your order, so they'll fight harder, however you would... So a, 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 morale, a morale sort of bonus there. Yeah, yeah, just an overall morale boost. I think experimenting with that smaller scale might be a good way to figure out mechanically how to make that happen and not have it be so jarring an experience, taking us, again, one step away from that world immersion that we're after. Right. The, the, the thing that comes to mind is I played in a game back in my days in Cleveland where it was supposed to be a large war. I mean, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of NPCs, and the PCs were sort of like a small strike team. Their, their mission was to navigate the battlefield and to infiltrate to the other side and basically assassinate the leaders on the other side and, and break the opposition that way because their forces were outnumbered. And that sounds very exciting. It wasn't a very exciting session. And one of the things that, that happened is as they were navigating through the battlefield, I kept saying, okay, you're, you're now inside this area. This squad is being attacked. You know, do you want to try to assist them, or are you just going to move on? And they would try to help out and, you know, maybe take out a few of the NPCs to make that squad's life easier. And it just didn't play fun at the table. It was monotonous. It was me rolling a handful of dice for the attack of one side and a handful of dice on the other. And I wouldn't even really do damage. I would just roll two handfuls of 20s, and I would look to see, just eyeballing it, which side looked like they did better. And then I'd say, okay, this was a strong attack on your squad, and they take out 20% of the opposition. Oh, no, you know, they counterattacked the next turn, and they did better. And I just like the idea of breaking that down and saying, okay, you're now within this squad. Because you are there, they get a boost here, here, and here, and roll one die for the attack as an NPC and one, you know, one counterattack. And this sort of – you can still kind of eyeball it and, you know, don't even have to necessarily roll damage, but, okay, that was a great hit. You know, you just took out 40% of the opposition and that kind of thing. I just, I think it would play better than what I've done before, not necessarily play better than any other options that are out there. I'm just not familiar with it. But I do think if I have the opportunity in my next D&D game, I will try it just to see how it works. No, I agree. On principle, on theory, it is a really fun thing to do. Making it work is a little bit harder. Yeah, that's kind of the rub. Just like communism. On paper, it sounds great. <laughs> exactly. Um, we actually did something similar to that. Well, not communism. Um, okay. Combat. In um, one of our old games, 
I forget the exact setup, but we found out that there was this huge goblin and orc army that was attacking the castle, and we actually went on an entire mission to find a buried army of iron golems. And the quest to find this hidden army was awesome because we had to do all this research and find this wizard and get through his traps. And that took probably four or five sessions. And, at that, and we knew it was building to this giant war. So we had that excitement driving us through the games. And when we finally found the army, basically the GM said, okay, you have an army of golems. What do you want to do now? Rule the world. <laughs> and um, he actually laid out some very minor, large-scale combat rules. It kind of boiled down to, instead of a PC on the map, it was a squad of golems on the map. And it basically just had an AC and an attack and damage. And then he had the same thing for the orcs. And he said, okay, here's a bunch of orcs, and they're all carrying axes, and, and here's the goblins, and they're riding wargs, so they move faster. So there was a little bit of back and forth there. And he actually let us, kind of like what you're saying, he let us put our players with a certain squadron. And when we were with a, a squadron, basically it just got higher attack and higher damage. And he also let us choose to stay on the battlements with some of the ballista and we could order a ballista strike and again if we were with that ballista it had a, an attack bonus because we were the commander giving it a better direction than just Joe Blow NPC who was told to flip the switch. It just feels like a, a more organic, one of my favorite words, way to sort of simulate the benefits of having your adventurer present and I just don't know that I've ever had never done it in a game that I felt that it worked out very well and this sounds like a much better method so I definitely want to give it a try and see how it plays at the table I suspect that it will be better than what I've done in the past yeah it, it's definitely something that would be really fun if it was balanced and carried out properly um, there is an old 3.5 handbook called the heroes of battle that broke down a ton of large-scale combat rules. There was all kinds of stuff for, uh, like, siege weapons, and I think it even gave you larger-scale spells for your arcane guys that would encompass a larger area on the field to do different things. I never read the book, but I know it's out there that might be a resource to at least pull some inspiration from. As a, as a quick side tangent, one of the things that you said reminded me back um, when I was in college, I did try to create my own game. I still have some of the notes floating around for what I was trying to accomplish. One of the things that I wanted to do with magic is you would have uh, what you call uh, specialties, spell specialists. Is what I mean, and basically every time that you cast a spell, you had a percentage chance, and I don't remember exactly the mechanics of it, 
but you had a percentage chance of that spell becoming easier for you to cast because you became more familiar with it. Hmm. So you would have like battle mages that would only cast fireball over and over and over and over and over again to the point where they could essentially cast fireball almost for free. I used a, a mana point system. So normally a spell would say it cost you three. You could get it down to one so that you could cast that particular spell three times as often because of your familiarity with it. And that's sort of what I was thinking of as mass combat for spells is that you would just be able to cast those damage dealing spells more often. Just a quick tangent there. Um, the name of my game was Arcane Realms, by the way. It, it had a logo and everything. Ooh, sounds All right. Yeah. Uh, way too complicated. It had uh, every time you roll to attack, you had uh, targeting. So you would you would roll to see if you hit the arm, the leg, which arm, which leg, where, head, you know, vitals. Overly complicated for some reason. I thought that would be more fun than uh, arbitrary. Well, it's like the old uh, Vagrant Story PlayStation One game. You Never could... played that. Neither have I, but I have oh. it. <laughs> it is. Arguably one of the greatest games I own and have never played. Probably Skyrim for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with, with Vagrant Story, you could do that. You could target the head, the body, the legs, the arms, and that would have direct impact on the outcome. So if you target the head, they have a lower initiative and they can't cast magic as well. If you target the legs, their speed goes down, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, naming conventions. Uh, this one I think will go pretty quickly. And I, I use the example of Lord of the Rings. You know, you have Arwen, Gandalf, Saruman, Frodo, Bilbo, and Steve. That uh, one of those names doesn't quite fit the genre as of the other one, other ones I should say. And you know, and again, I, I think we're both going to probably agree here pretty quickly. But do you think that the DM should ever step in? You know, if, if a player wants to name their guy, guy John Penis McGillicuddy. And, uh, you know, JP for short, should the DM say, you know, that's not the tone of the game that I want to play, so maybe you should rename your character something else? Like, do you, do you, have you ever had to do that, or do you feel like you should? Well, first off, I just want to say that if Steve is in The Lord of the Rings, I really want him to be one of those elemental wizards that Gandalf has to deal with and be like, hey, Steve. <laughs> How's the world running? Oh, it's fine, Gandalf. <laughs> What's up with you? Because that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so if he says but, Gandalf with quotations like it's really pretentious. <laughs> Gandalf. Can't name yourself Gary like anybody else. Anyway. Steve Steve totally comes to work in jeans every day. <laughs> it's casual Friday every day. But yeah, I think sometimes... Yeah, you have to step in and say, come on, man, that's just going to screw things up. In an old game we played, I wasn't running it, but this one guy, he didn't know what his name was, he didn't know what he looked like, and he hemmed and hawed over it for a while, and he finally said, screw it, I'm Quagmire from Family Guy. And then he proceeded to play the entire game as Quagmire, from Family Guy, and it was atrocious. Yeah. And it was funny for the first session. Then it got a little bit old hat, but it was one of those games where we're just kind of goofing around anyway, so we didn't make a big deal of it. Right, and like I said, I think it fits the tone of the game. If you're playing in a game that's not all that serious, 
then I don't particularly care if you have a John Penis McGillicuddy or a Quagmire or a Steve the Barbarian. But, you know, if you are trying to create a game that has some immersion to it, I think that's I think that should be part of that character creation session, mm-hmm. which I, I used to not like, not be a fan of, but I'm slowly coming around to that first night where you just get together and you talk through those things and you ask the players what type of game they want and you roll characters and everything. Because personally, I feel like I should never have to step in as a DM because a player should know better. You know, the, the player should come to the table and know that my guy named Steve the Barbarian is not a good idea in this game that we're trying to play. But I keep going back to the Wang situation, and I get aggravated every time I think about it. For those of you new, our Made Men games, we had a player named Jared who was not there for the very first session. He was in the group already, but he missed that first session. It was supposed to be a one-shot, but we ended up liking it so much we decided to can you play in it. So on what would be the second session, or I think maybe the fourth episode of this the podcast, he brought in a new character that tonally did not fit the game. And not just not necessarily the name, but just the whole character was in a different game. It would be like if you're playing, you're watching The Godfather, and all of a sudden Shemp from The Three Stooges shows up. Just like that guy does not belong in this story. And I feel like I did a good job explaining to him what we were getting into, but clearly I didn't. And, you know, his character never fit into the group, and... It wasn't, which it, he didn't leave because of that, but not long after that game, he ended up leaving the, the group for a while, and uh, one of the few times I can ever remember, we just killed his character. Like, usually in those situations, that character just goes away, and, you know, there's always a potential that he will come back. Not in that one. He just got murdered as soon as Jared wasn't around, and as a GM, I really couldn't argue it. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what, what should happen here, and I think that because J- uh, Jared wasn't tonally fitting everyone else that it it made the game a little bit awkward and i think the same thing with the name if you have one guy who's just wanting to play steve the barbarian then we need to have a conversation before we start playing yeah and that goes back to something we touched on in the previous topic the immersion in the game we all know we're playing a game we all know we're playing make-believe and that this is escapism and this is fun but you still want to participate and if everyone agrees to play a goofy, silly game with Steve the Barbarian, go for it. As long as everyone is on board with that and you don't care about the silly jokes and, and laughing half the time instead of focusing on the gameplay, sure. But that's for a one-shot. You're just kind of rolling some dice and killing some stuff. Who cares? But when you're making that detailed game like Made Men was, you want to be invested in that world. So we agree on that one as well. <laughs> yeah, but, but let's look at this logically. We come from a background where one of the greatest characters ever was named Tim the Enchanter. So it's really hard not to think of that when we're naming our character. So we're fighting yeah. an uphill battle. It's, it's a struggle every day. True, but if you want to play in a game where you have the knights that say knee, then that's a type of tonally game where if you want to play Steve the Barbarian, that's fine. You know, that that, that fits the tone of that story. But I just, you know, again, like the Made Men game that I ran, and I'm, I know there's plenty of other examples out there, it, it just, you need to have a, a cohesion of the characters or it just doesn't work as well. 
But now I really want to play a game with the Knights of St. Louis. I want to play Steve the Barbarian, actually. I, I started thinking, like, that would be a good, good, fun guy to play. Steve the Barbarian. Uh, I just don't know if I want to go ironic and make him like a rogue. He's just called Steve the Barbarian. i got to find out why. Or he's, a, he's, like a, he's a sorcerer. Regardless of his class, I think he should be a hipster and wear really thick goggles and uh, approach everything very ironically. <laughs> nice. This came about from some games that I played with Evan, and, and the topic is about a, a mechanical way to represent a moment. That, you know, if a player is getting excited because of the way the game's coming about and they, they feel like there's a big moment or they have a moment that's coming up and they're really excited about it, and then for whatever reason the DM just kind of misses it or, or blows past it, you know, it, should it be okay, first of all, for the player to kind of put up their hand and say, like, wait, wait, time out, you know, this is this could be super cool. Will you please let me have this moment? And then if it is okay to do that, and I think it is, should there be a mechanical way to do it? Like, should you, you know, have flash the red card, or do you have a token, or do you just say, nope, I'm taking narrative control, and the player just says, for the next five minutes I'm running the game, and they that way they make sure that they get their moment. The, the thing that I was thinking of when I came up with this topic, we were playing a game, well, I'm trying to start with, Made Men came out of a game that we were actually already playing that also involved time travel, but differently. And the characters were making their way to Thronehold, which is only referenced in the Made Men games. They were supposed to go there, but they didn't follow my stupid plot. Anyway, so there was a moment where there was a like a, a giant mutated spider that was in the back of this wagon, and the spider had sort of like mentally started controlling people and they it's sort of like a body snatchers type thing. It was trying to grow larger and larger people around it. And it was hidden in this wagon and the players were growing suspicious. They eventually uncovered it and, and then it started to attack. And Evan jumped into the wagon that this giant spider was on. It was mutated and it was, you know, like falling apart kind of too. And he basically ran the wagon as hard as he could into a wall you know, crashed the wagon and, and blew the spider up because it was also on fire at that point. And in the moment, I just kind of said, okay, and, and that happened, and I moved on. And it wasn't until after that, I, you know, I think we covered this in a dungeon talk, he's like, you know, that could have been a super cool moment, but it wasn't. And it's something that's just kind of always been in the back of my mind is, you know, I wish Evan would have said time out. And, you know, even though that would have broken the immersion, it was such an important moment for him and his character that I felt like he should have done that. So if you ever had a situation as a player or as a GM where that's come up and you've actually had someone time out or wish you had or anything like that? There's definitely been moments for me player where I had such a momentum going in my description of my actions. The GM let me do much more than I should have been able to do in a given round of combat. And I don't think that was a conscious choice that he or I made to let me take control. It's just that we were having a really good session, and it was a really awesome combat, and he wanted to see what we could do. Like, the, the one that's jumping to mind, there were just two of us playing. I was a psionic character, the Soul Knife, 
and my friend was playing a mummy paladin, and we were hunting undead through a town, and it the combat started really simple, but we let this guy get away, and we had to chase him, and I was doing all these crazy acrobatic moves and making these awesome dex checks, and the guy playing the mummy was literally just running through the buildings. And it was so cool, and we were having so much fun, we stopped caring about the rounds. And at one point I said, okay, I want to run down this wall and jump through the window and kind of surfboard off this table into this guy that I was chasing. And I described it so interestingly and excitedly the GM said, okay, you do it. Or he made me make one dex check or one acrobatics check. And I'm like, okay, you made it. You're good. That kind of thing. Um, but that was just because we were having so much fun. Um, I do think that it's totally okay for a player to say, hey, wait a second. I want to do this in a really cool way. Again, give it, it gives them context of the game. In some games, it just might not fit. Um, and I think as a GM, you do have the right to say, well, what do you want to do? See if it fits what I'm trying to do. There's a balance there. But I don't think there's a really a hard and fast rule that we could come up with because it needs to be really, really flexible. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of too. Like, I, I can't think of anything that you know, the, the red card, then you have to come up with all these rules. Can anyone use it? You know, is there a limited number of times it can be used? I, I think as DMs, we need to be flexible and we need to pay attention. And if we see that a player is really getting into a moment, then that should be a, a cue to us that, one, we're doing a good job, and two, to, to slow it down and, you know, let this play out and, and let people enjoy it. And I mentioned it in one of the other topics that we're not going to be able to cover tonight about how I used to do a thing where, like, if someone rolls a natural 20 on an attack, I would kind of turn over narrative to control to them a little bit and say, you know, what did that look like? Tell me what that hit was. You know, what did you do with your weapon to try to draw them in and help them, you know, get more comfortable contributing to the story? And I do it now more often. I don't just do it on after 20s. I just do it anytime I think it's interesting or if I think they're being, you know, if I'm reading them as bored, I'll do it to try to get them involved. So I'm already kind of doing that anyway. And I want my players to feel comfortable that maybe if that moment's coming up, they don't even ask. They just start telling me. And as a DM, I would be fine with that. Yeah, I think that shows a real um, progression or maturing in the ability for your player to really role play the character. And it might only be in that context of combat. And that's okay. Uh, if that's an easy way to get into that style of description and get into what your character is doing, go for it. More power to you. If you wanted to do some really basic rule, like the red card or whatnot, it, you'd have to make sure it was open to everybody. Uh, you'd have to make sure it didn't have... It, it, it had enough uses to let everybody have the opportunity to use it. Something I thought of when I was 
contemplating this. Maybe make it like a uh, not really a resource for each player, but something like each player has so many cinematic points that they could claim during the session. Maybe like one per two hit dice, or you know, just stretch flat out five per character, whatever. And anyone at any point can say, hey, I want to cash in one of my cinematic points and I want to do X, Y, Z. No, I mean, I think that that's very similar to like hero points and action points and, you know, 3.5 at Baron, 4th edition, and my own version where, you know, you just kind of say, you know, here's a, here's a resource, these hero points that I give out or you earn. And uh, they, they were designed to give a mechanical boost by giving you an additional D6 on top of a D20. I recently turned that to, to advantage, disadvantage, though we're not actually using them at the moment. And then kind of the same thing. If you had a hero point and you just want to say, like, you know, I really want my guy to be able to jump off the wall, grab the chandelier, swing across the room, and land on the throne, I want to spend a hero point. Okay, that just happens. You know, if you're willing to spend this limited resource, I'm not going to make you make three rolls. Because I think one of the things about D&D and role-playing games in general that I find it's sort of a conflicting nature is that a lot of times as a player, we get the biggest kick out of being successful, doing that cool thing that we can talk about, you know, years to come. Do you remember that time that my character, Steve the Barbarian, did this thing? Oh, yeah, that was awesome. But oftentimes, the best games are when things go wrong. And that's what you really remember is, remember that time that Steve the Barbarian was trying to do this? And then actually what happened was that... I think those are the stories that live on. So I don't want to take failure as an option completely off the table and, you know, and always play the kick-ass superhero game where, you know, they, they, they never have complications they can't overcome because I think in a lot of ways that would actually do a disservice to the game. But I also don't want, I don't want failure on stupid things, if that makes sense. Like, you know, do I really need you... Like, does it matter if you land on the throne or you land on beside the throne? Like, what exactly about that is interesting to your character? Is it just a cool flare moment where by landing on the throne, you you can then next turn do something else that you think's cool? Then what do I care? Sure, that happens. It's not a big deal. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of conflicted. I, I don't want to take failure off the table, but those unexpected failures are often some of the best stories. Oh, I, I agree with you. Um, I think in general, if we're talking about taking over narration, 90% of the time, it's about movement. It's getting from point A to point B. Very rarely, in my opinion anyway, do I see, okay, I want to take over narration, and in the scope of this narration, I kill everybody in the room. That's not going to happen. But if it's, okay, I want to run off this table and kind of parkour flip over here and land next to the throne, as long as the player has, one, a good reason for doing it, and two, can justify the ability to do that based on what's on his or her character sheet, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the the maneuvering or the, the movement is probably where that is most often and it's usually something that, again, they just want to be cool. They just want to do this cool thing. 
and that's why they want to do it. So I, I think in that, that case, it, absolutely just let the, the players have narrative control. The thing with Evan was a little bit different because he was killing the main bad guy of that session, and he was doing it in a super cool way. And it's not that it didn't happen. It's just that I kind of brushed past it as the DM, where rather than slowing down and doing the Michael Bay, you know, explosion and all this crazy stuff happens and making a big deal out of it, I was like, okay, on your turn, you run into the wall, and yes, he killed the spider. Like it was, it was just so, you know, Ben Stein, you know, Bueller type of a situation. Like it should have been exciting and visceral, and it was monotonous. And I think that was the, the frustrating part for him is that it, I should have just done a better job as a GM selling it. And I guess I, I would want him as a player to feel comfortable saying, you know, let's take a, t a take two on that. You know, I, I like the reading. I want more energy. Try it again. And then, uh, you know, and then we, we go at it a second time. Yeah, I, I think that kind of has less to do with the rules side of it and more to do with the role playing and how comfortable you and your players are with your back and forth at the table. As long as your player knows you well enough to say, whoa, 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 slow down. I just crashed this cart into the wall. This needs to be epic. Here's what really happens. And you're comfortable with him and he's comfortable with you. That's fine. I would agree. So I think we, we have done a good job of agreeing with each other tonight. So <laughs> next time we'll have to come up with something that we can argue about. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>